Eclectic Spacewalk presents Conversations, a podcast about the uniqueness of the human condition and how, through conversation, we can continue to upgrade humanity's value systems. Everyone has a subjective, awe-inspiring viewpoint of our reality, and the goal of this podcast is to have conversations with unique humans. Eclectic Spacewalk means a broad and diverse range of Earth-based philosophies viewed from outer space. Send us any recommendations on who we should talk to next. But remember, we are not just a podcast. You can subscribe to our Substack newsletter and get first access to every podcast episode at eclecticspacewalk.substack.com. Connect with us on social media by following us on Twitter at eSpacewalk and the hashtag EclecticSpacewalk. Find us on Minds.com at EclecticSpacewalk. And as always, you can find everything on the website, EclecticSpacewalk.com. We want to talk with anyone over our shared humanity and best practices of life. Now, let's have a conversation. Hello from Brighton in the UK. Welcome to Eclectic Spacewalk Conversations. I'm your host, Nicholas McKay. And today I'm joined by George Poor, founder and academic dean of Campus Coevolve who is, quote, a strategic learning partner to visionary leaders and analysts of deep transformation around the world. Welcome to Conversations, George. Thank you. Uh, so first off, originally, where were you born? I was born in Budapest, Hungary, 19... Oh, I don't even dare to say, long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> and so um, uh, what, what did you want to be when you grew up? What did I want to be when I grew up? Yes. That's a fantastic question because my mom always asked the same question. Okay. And I remember I, I said things like, uh, I want to be a firefighter because I had a little toy, a, f a firefighter uh, sure. car. And, but my mom wanted, oh, no, it's not good. Uh, you should be a doctor or a lawyer, mm -hmm. some, something like that. Because at that time, you know, my parents' generation, they imagined that uh, when the little uh, Yuri grows up, he will have one profession, like every normal person, and that's it for a life. Mm -hmm. It was not like uh, nowadays, uh, people are changing these professional identities. So, yeah, it's a good question what I wanted to. <laughs> it kept changing for me also. Okay, so well then, uh, coming off that, who and what were your biggest influences? Was it thinkers, artists, authors? Like what made you, you know, kind of, who were your biggest influences? As I grew up? Yeah. Well, uh, you will be surprised, but if I tell you that I... Uh, was raised by communist parents in communist Hungary, then uh, it may not be such a big surprise that my influencers uh, were people like Spartacus and uh, revolutionaries of the past, and uh, including Marx. And I like, like to read uh, novels of his life, things like that. I, I grew out that, but uh, they had an influence on my thinking of becoming uh, R dot evolutionary. Of course. And then, of course, as you can see, this giant bookshelf, you 
kept up with at least some of the reading, as you say. And then um, who who would say you said oh, in our conversations before that you're still big into science fiction, though? Oh, yes. Yes. Science fiction has a, a great impact on my thinking because life imitate uh, science mm -hmm. fiction. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Frequently, the, the science fiction writers come up with the great ideas that then uh, it's implemented. And of course, they are informed with uh, scientific discoveries. So if I want to uh, get on the edge of uh, the imagination of what is possible, uh, I'm reading science fiction, not as much for the technical gizmos, but mm. I'm curious of what the science fiction authors imagine about the social arrangements mm. of people in the future. And then those kind of, uh, you can draw on those into the present, uh, those possibilities of sorts. Is, do any of them stick out from f into your memory right now? Yeah, yeah. Bruce Sterling is, is one of the writers who, uh, because a lot of, lot of those writers, they, they write about um, dystopias mm. uh, and the few is describing uh, positive possibilities. Mm. And so Bruce Sterling's book, uh, Islands in the Net, I remember um, that because uh, it describes the kind of um, commons-oriented enterprise without hierarchy where people are equals and they work without uh, bosses in a self-organizing manner. I read that long time ago, but it had a, uh, an impact on my thinking because, um, of course, I'm also reading not just science fiction, but uh, professional literature sure. about the same. But when I'm reading a, a science fiction, it makes, uh, it gives texture to mm. the ideas. It makes it more tangible how it can really happen. Sure. Are you familiar with uh, the current science fiction writer Ted Chiang? Because he is more like the utopic vision, because if we're flooded with dystopic visions. Yes, right? yes, that's right. <laughs> um, well, if, if not, you, you need to check that. We'll talk after. But um, so after university, you went on to work with some of the biggest organizations in the world, like Greenpeace, Intel, HP, the National Health, uh, National Health Services in the UK, and then the UN. So can you tell us some of the highlights of projects maybe you were most proud of in that period? Well, it was not quite after university because I was kicked out from the, the university in the 19, 1966. Uh, that was the, the beginning of uh, my sovereign life. Mm -hmm. And by sovereign life, I mean when I started uh, independently making meaning of my environment society, what is really happening mm -hmm. here, and then making my choices about how do I respond to that. And since Hungary was a so-called socialist uh, country, I say so-called because it was more like a, a state uh, capitalism. Mm -hmm. But anyway, so I, I got into um, conflict with the government mm -hmm. uh, because I I wanted to stand up for my belief, and it was the 60s, the student movement all over the world. And uh, so we had our little student movement in Hungary, which uh, 
landed me 20 months in jail and a couple of years later when I got out, I got exiled from Hungary. So from the university, it was not a straight moving into consulting work. Uh, first, I had to finish uh, my degree in, at the University of Paris mm -hmm. after I got exiled. And uh, then I moved to India to study meditation then uh, moved to California, 1981, and it's there where I got my first computer, became a computer consultant, not on the technical side, but uh, how companies can use uh, computer networking to connect the, the minds and mm -hmm. hearts of their people. So that's how I got into um, corporate consulting on the on the side uh, of uh, culture change. Mm -hmm. How can uh, companies become more uh, collaborative? Of course, every manager is interested in that. How, how can the workforce become more collaborative? What I was interested in is uh, bringing in the technology, mm -hmm. the tools that uh, creates um, kind of liberated zones mm. within the hierarchical structures. So uh, that uh, that's why I started working with communities of practice. Mm -hmm. That's a different kind of organizational form that uh, is not responsive, not responsible to the to the hierarchy. Right. It's self organizing and so more decentralized in yes, nature. Yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. And so not to pry, but obviously that prison sentence was not in your uh, profile. <laughs> I don't think you're necessarily um, pr promoting that, but I mean, you don't have to answer as, as much as you want. But uh, what, what was that like? You know, kind of like going to prison for something that you believed in. Yeah. Well, uh, since my upbringing was a revolutionary sure, upbringing, sure. so... Uh, <laughs> For me, it was natural. I knew that when I start organizing the movement that it can happen, that sure. they will arrest us. And uh, they they convinced me with the official accusation, anti-state conspiracy. Wow. That's what they labeled the student movement. Well, there's not really higher that you can go other than internationally against your own government, though, in a sense of... You yeah. Know. <laughs> yeah. Um, so you said you mentioned that after that you finished your degree at the University of Paris. Um, and right now you're currently a faculty member at Meridian University, which is also in California. Um, so you have former academic posts at the University of Paris, UC Berkeley, and the London School of Economics. So how has academia changed in that time since you graduated and then now, obviously, uh, in your current p teaching position? Well, you know, uh, when I was a, a junior uh, lecturer in the University of Paris, mm -hmm. Because after I got my degree, they kept me there at the sociology department to teach. Uh, and uh, I got quite rapidly disgusted with the academic life because of a lot of politicking, a mm. lot of competition, and lots lot of uh, ego infighting in the, in the departments. 
So when I went to uh, India, I still had my employment at the University of Paris. I just took some um, vacation. But in India, I got into uh, meditation and I felt that uh, the inner journey is just so much more exciting mm. than all the intellectual stuff. So in India, I felt that um, I finished with this. I will never, <laughs> never uh, become an intellectual again. Of course, I was too young to know, to never say never. Right. And how old were you when you went to India? Oh, I was um, 35. Okay. So still quite young. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. then how long were you there for? Uh, half a year. Half a year. And then how, how big is your meditation practice from that initial upbringing still today? Is Are you still practicing? Yes. Yes. But... Um, not as much uh, the regular morning or evening meditation. I brought meditation to my daily living. Mm. So a meditative awareness is just part of my part of my life, part of how I work, how I am with, right. when I am with people. That's awesome. And then, so in one of your posts, you uh, we were talking earlier, and and you brought it up is um, every year you hold a kind of personal ceremony uh, or a ritual of sorts of recasting um, your circle of life work, you know, kind of like what what is important to you. And uh, I'll, I'll just briefly go through, you know, the four of them that you mentioned and then we can dive in. But um, evolutionary Sherpa, uh, social acupuncturist, basket weaver, and a future chronicler. Mm. So how can you how, can you talk to a little bit more about about those things of not just the ritual, but then also what this year has mean? Because you said it's yeah. going to change in December again. <laughs> of course. Well, let let me step back. Okay. One, to honor my teachers. Uh, oh, of course. Who introduced me to the medicine wheel in. During my 20 years in California, the last uh, 10 years, I've been in training by the elders of uh, the tribe, uh, Wind Eagle and the late uh, Rainbow Hawk, who taught the, the earth wisdom. Mm. So the medicine wheel comes from, you know, from the Native American uh, tradition. And uh, I patterned my circle of life work on the four directions of, of the medicine wheel. So those four aspects of my creative energies that you just named, uh, they uh, correspond to four specific uh, directions on the medicine wheel, which is the compass, the directions mm -hmm. of, of the compass. Uh, so they are associated with uh, some distinctive archetypal energies. That just to give you some background, background yeah. that uh, I wrote about how Everybody can cast a circle of life work, uh, but this needs to be uh, related to 
with reverence because it's not a technique. It uh, it's it's like really contemplating one's uh, life and the directions of in which the creative juices wants to flow mm -hmm. or are flowing, and then placing it on placing them on the on the four directions. So that's the background to your question. Now, the, the, regarding the specifics, uh, which uh, last time was cast, casted uh, December 28, uh, 2018. So the the basket weaver is about. Uh, it's a it's a metaphor. Uh, mm -hmm. It's a metaphor for weaving a deep basket of understanding what uh, drives the evolution of consciousness and the evolution of society. So you can think of it, uh, it's a metaphor for being a, a researcher. Mm. And um, if, when I'm looking uh, forward in 2020, the way in which the basket weaver is uh, amplifying uh, this uh, stream within my life work is my plan is establishing a center of research for civilization renewal as part of or associated with Campus Coevolve or virtual university. So that's about the basket weaver. Mm -hmm. uh, the future chroniclers, that has to do with uh, bringing the memories of the future into the present. Mm. Memories of the future into the present. That's interesting. Yeah. It's like. Um, Developing uh, and sharing the art of uh, receiving and uh, transmitting evolutionary epiphanies. Mm. It's not like prophesizing. It's more like learning from the future as it emerges through our uh, actions in, mm -hmm. in the present. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, so the, being a chronicler of the future is also informed and inspired by my science fiction. I was just about to say that has reading. to be it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The social acupuncturist is, uh, you know, the acupuncturist, what, it, what he or she does is with the needle releasing energies that are blocked. And mm -hmm. the social acupuncturist part of me is um, identifying where energies are blocked in the social body, in the body of an organization or community or social systems, and uh, designing and executing uh, laser-like precise intervention for releasing those energies. Uh, and then uh, the evolution in Sherpa mm -hmm. is um, 
Well, the Sherpa is uh, in ex uh, in excursions and climbing a mountain. The guy who been there before and uh, carries a lot of the can, weight. Yeah, <laughs> and and showing helping uh, the people who are coming. So uh, in in that's a metaphor for being a mentor to visionary leaders and also young. Uh, high potential emergent leaders. So to recap, then you would be a person that has been there before and mentoring others that then is razor or I guess pinpoint in their releasing of pressure that maybe needs to by the idea that we're trying to do the memories of the future in the present, but then also w throughout this, you're weaving this deep understanding mm. of, of everything. So that's, yeah. that's a good highlight of all that. Yeah, that's a good uh, recap. <laughs> yeah. they, they all relate. Uh, yeah, they all related. They are all supporting each other. Sure. I mean, well, that's an integrated approach, as you said, because that's the entire, uh, what, what, it, what is the technical term, or the, the name that the Native Americans used to use for a, what is it? What is the wheel? Medicine wheel. Medicine wheel. Yes, exactly. And then so... You're all, I'm assuming, uh, so how, how has the, this year been? You know, we're, we're in October. How has the last 10 months been in this journey for you in, in those kind of specifics? The, the last 10 months? Yeah. Well, so this, this, yeah, this, this year? Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Like what well, would your progress report be for yourself? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, uh, the... I'm having a lot of fun with the chronicler, future chronicler, okay. because uh, it's uh, writing uh, not from my mind, uh, but uh, writing with my body. Mm. So what it what it means that um, when I'm publishing blogs uh, from the year of. Uh, 2029. Mm -hmm. uh, those are not the, so those those blogs are not uh, just fantasizing, but uh, I'm I'm kind of I, this difficult to describe. But I feel embodied uh, that uh, future future space inside me that I am writing from. And uh, that makes the writing very easy. It, it's flowing, mm. and uh, I can I can send you the the URL. Of sure, sure, of, of course. Some of the articles that I published, and uh, the the evolutionary Sherpa that's also amplified um, amplified its uh, activities because uh, I I have an, a number of. Uh, mentoring clients but uh, the main thing this year for my status update <laughs> is the establishment of um, Campus Coevolve because uh, I feel that uh, it's not enough to have uh, one uh, Sherpa helping uh, the seekers mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but uh, I feel that we need to cultivate, develop, uh, educate, train tens of thousands of uh, facilitators of profound transformation. And that's what uh, my aim is with Campus Coevolve. Mm. 
And and yeah, we'll we'll talk uh, more about Campus Coevolve uh, a little bit later. But going back to your writing, um, I mean, you've published many articles on, or I guess journal journal articles for at Academia.edu, and also started a magazine it's called In Leaving Edge for Next Stage Organizations. How, can you talk more about like writing in a sense, maybe not 2029, but just the the act of, of, of writing about, you know, theories and ideas and then into kind of practical things to help others. Yeah, the Enlivening Edge, uh, I founded it as a newsletter in 2015 mm-hmm. in response to the publication of Reinventing Organizations by Frederick Lalu that uh, I felt at uh, that time that it was the very cutting edge of organization design, creating uh, next stage organizations based on the three breakthroughs that Frederick uh, discovered. Evolution, purpose, wholeness, and self-management. And he was a, a McKinley, McKinsey consultant, and uh, he did the research, and the book reflects the research. And so I was so inspired by that that I felt that I really should support uh, his work, and the best way to support it is with what I know how to do, build a movement. Mm. And... Uh, you know, Gandhi was talking about that. If you want a social movement, you you need to have a, uh, a newspaper. Right, right, right. I did see that, yeah. So nowadays, if he was alive, he would probably say you need to create a website. Or a media organization. So, or, yeah. so that's what Enlivening Edge became. It started out as a newsletter, then became a magazine, a media hub, and uh, we published... Uh, more than 800 articles, uh, all news and views on the on the edge of uh, what is what next stage organizations are doing, how they are doing it, and I've been writing a column and contributed uh, with content, mm-hmm. uh, republishing articles that I that I like. Uh, Yes, I'm surfing the web and pick up good stuff. Uh, and also other colleagues in Enlivening Edge, we are both producing original content and uh, republishing, uh, curating basically the what is happening in the movement. So that was uh, my work with Enlivening Edge. Now it's more focused, what I'm doing is more focused on Campus mm-hmm. Right. And then so just just quickly, though, like uh, over that last, I mean, four years, it, that must have been a lot of key learnings, though. I mean, what is the one thing that you, you've learned to just that it needs to switch to academia and then that's why we're in Campus Coevolve? Uh, or, or, or like how, are you just kind of taking a step back and letting it run by itself and then just contributing content when you can? I appreciate your question because it. It helps me uh, explain a little bit uh, how I am moving from one project to another project. Mm-hmm. 
it's not that I get bored with what I did before. Sure. It's more like uh, personally when I learned from the project I've been doing, what I felt I needed to learn, like how to create an, a magazine, mm -hmm. I would be ready to move on, but not yet. I also need a call, a pull, a pull from the future that typically comes from recognizing that what I am doing now, why it is not sufficient, mm. why it is not the best that I can do. And how I define the best what I can do is, you know, every change agent is uh, trying to have an impact. Mm -hmm. An evolutionary change agent is uh, somebody who trying to have as large impact as sure. possible. Well, you're, you're evolving with this though. Yeah. I mean, and this is not, a, it's not a set in stone thing. Exactly. And so writing and publishing is not enough. We need to educate transformation facilitators. That's how I moved to Campus Coevolve. That's great. So we'll, we'll talk obviously about Campus Coevolve in a minute, but right now we're going to take a short break and we'll be back uh, more from George Poor. Hi, and welcome back to Eclectic Spacewalk Conversations, where again, I'm joined by George Poor, founder and academic dean of Campus Coevolve. So George, before Campus Coevolve, uh, you founded an organization called Community Intelligence, which is, quote, enabling the next stage of development in people and organization. So what is community or what is collective intelligence? Uh, community Intelligence, that's the brand, the name of the, the company. Uh, the company I founded with uh, friends back in 2002 mm -hmm. when I moved back from California back to, to Europe and uh, it is a transformation agency helping uh, the development of next stage as you mentioned in people and organizations. Uh, we've been having uh, clients from all over the world uh, and uh, but community intelligence is not only the brand it's not only the name of the company but also a meme uh, a concept uh, that has to do with my belief mm. that I s you you will have a scoop here because I have not yet mentioned this publicly. Okay. This shocking sure. thing <laughs> that uh, from an evolutionary perspective, the individual is not the most important unit of cognition anymore. The most important unit of cognition is the community. Mm, the environment, if you will. Or is the it... Or the collective. Okay. The, yep. Got it. The group of people who are thinking and uh, learning and changing and working together. The reason why it is so, because uh, no matter how genius you are, you cannot really fathom what on earth is happening. Mm. Especially just, today's not day. It's just so, so much more bigger, more complex. From the perspective of evolution, the best chance that humans have to uh, have a consciousness of what is happening is the collective consciousness, is mm -hmm. the collective intelligence. 
So that's why I'm saying that community intelligence is both the brand and in a broader sense, it's also the, the meme that uh, kind of synonymous with collective intelligence. But mm. collective intelligence is um, a broader category, a broader concept. I, I started to write and uh, uh, teach and consult about collective intelligence in um, the late uh, 80s when it was a novel uh, concept. Uh, now, if you Google collective intelligence, you will get two and a half million hits oh, wow. in less than a half second. Right. So it's, isn't it interesting why? Why it, is, why it is so? Why certain memes are taking off a certain time? Right. So my take on that is that uh, when um, society is going through a crisis and uh, it's clear that uh, one era is ending mm. and the new has yet to born and nobody knows where we are heading. So there are lots of theories about the collapse, that everything will just fall apart. Some people are putting their energies uh, not on the total breakdown, but on uh, on the breakthrough mm. to a new civilization. Mm -hmm. I belong to that uh, group. Mm -hmm. uh, so when, when the crisis happened, and we are in a crisis, that's quite obvious, and when uh, people don't know where all this moving towards, that's the time when collective intelligence has become important because that's the best hope that uh, we can discover something. What is this about? So that's my take on why two and a half million hits. Uh, but of course, there is also other reasons grounded in the economic system that uh, capitalism seems to exhaust uh, its uh, useful shelf life and uh, it uh, needs to renewed, uh, reinvented. So what is happening in uh, businesses and organizations that uh, once uh, the leaders understand that uh, in the conditions of galloping complexity, the leadership team, even the smartest guys on the top, uh, they just don't have enough what it takes to respond to the rapidly changing market conditions. So mm -hmm. they need to mobilize the collective intelligence of, of the people. That's what the, that's why the MIT Center on about collective intelligence and uh, so it became a, a main uh, topic for management uh, disciplines. Mm -hmm. And then you mentioned uh, in one of your posts, organizational theories interest me only if they can be tested in practice. 
and are improving the lives of people while moving the organization that they work with to its next stage of capabilities. And I think that's so important with so much theory is out there with so, uh, you know, it, without as much real world use or applications. And you just mentioned a lot of either managers or directors, maybe not taking a systems thinking viewpoint. Uh, one of our, you know, found uh, one of my, uh, I think my second post was systems thinking. Um, and can you just talk a little bit more uh, about those two interplays? Because it seems like to get to any breakthrough, you really need to understand where you just were. And to understand where you just were or where you are, it really has to have a holistic systems thinking approach. And I know you have a quote that you want to talk about um, in a second, but so we'll end with that. But what, talk, talk a little bit about the interplay of systems thinking and organizational theories from theory to practice. Yes, systems thinking has been around for a couple of decades and um, realizing that uh, everything is a system is not very helpful in itself because uh, organizational systems are more like living systems. Mm. They are more akin to uh, complex adaptive systems, which is different from the the systems of uh, machinery, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. right? Right. So uh, organizational systems as living systems, uh, they interact with, with each other and uh, they are in continuous uh, change. That's why I would like to share with you a quote uh, from a person who I consider the real most important thought leader of our times, particularly uh, related to systems thinking because she is upgrading or thinking about uh, systems. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So this quote will tell you yeah. about the essence of okay. uh, also what, uh, what I am standing sure. for. So her, her name is Nora Bateson and... Uh, she's in she, California, right? Uh, or she's in the United States, I think? The, no, she used to. She's frequently going there, but she lives in Sweden. Oh, okay. Because I, I, I want to say that I know her in this Twitter kind yeah, of sphere and stuff is, like that. Yeah, interesting. Getting more and more popularity. <laughs> uh, she's the daughter of uh, Gregory Bateson, who was one of the foremost uh, systems thinkers. Oh, okay, uh, so it comes in the family. Okay. Yeah, so, yeah. Okay, what's so the Nora quote? says that everything is always learning from everything else. Simatasi uh, is a Greek word that he made up for, uh, it means learning together. Say it again. Simatasi. Okay, Simatasi, and yeah. then that's what again? Learning together. Okay, Simatasi, learning together, got it. So, learning in symmetry is the perpetual processes of positioning and repositioning, calibrating, shifting, and responding to responses within context of multiple simultaneous uh, interactions. Mm -hmm. So, um, why is that um, important? Because um, I know that it's quite a m mouthful, but... Uh, 
in reality, when you have a relationship, uh, a good relationship uh, is uh, a living, changing, mm. moment to moment, uh, you guys are learning together, not necessarily in the classic sense of learning, but picking up signals from each other and responding to. And uh, of course, that is true also for not only uh, friendships, uh, but uh, larger uh, systems mm -hmm. as, as well. So Nora's contribution to um, this new wave of, of systems thinking is the focus on uh, mutual learning mm. in different contexts. Uh, so she created uh, this methodology, the warm data lab. I don't want to go into much details. Uh, I'm fortunate that uh, I got uh, in training with him and became a certified uh, facilitator of, of warm data labs. And I just wanted to mention, because systems thinking is not uh, uh, what it used to be. It's not our uh, dad's uh, systems thinking nowadays. Well, right, and, and it kind of seems like you're alluding to more of a static, you know, sense of thinking to then more of an adaptive evolutionary. Mm -hmm. um, so then that, that kind of brings us into the next point of your evolutionary mentoring is a dialogical process aimed at developing your capabilities for evolutionary leadership and mentoring. So so why is it, it seems like you're kind of uh, going around the whole word, but it's just evolution. You know, it's constantly evolving. Yeah, yeah. Then people ask me, uh, what is your core uh, belief? What is the highest, uh, broadest mm. framing mm -hmm. of uh, how you perceive the world? My answer is, uh, well, it is, we are evolving, nothing is... Uh, permanent and it's not only changing but we are moving towards uh, not a goal because evolution doesn't have a, right. a, a goal if it had then if if it achieved the goal then it's the end it's done end of story. <laughs> end of story. no it doesn't have a goal but it has a direction mm. and uh, if you just uh, consider that how life came into being in the ocean mm -hmm. with very uh, small, very simple living cells mm -hmm. connecting, mm -hmm. and then more complex organism. And here we are uh, human beings with uh, our brain, which is one of the most complex phenomena in the known universe. Mm -hmm. So it's not. Um, exaggeration to say that uh, the direction of evolution is towards more complexity, more harmony, because uh, our, our body uh, is hanging together. So there's a harmony among all these uh, tissues and organs that are working together. And when society can learn the same, uh, that's, uh, I believe, the direction of 
or social evolution. Right, and it's not just the individuals. It's it's really society as a whole is also evolving. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, the, it's more difficult to see social evolution because evolution is it's not going in a straight line. So uh, there are detours. Oh, and yes. There are aborted evolutionary experiments. Uh, so uh, the whole Trump phenomenon uh, can be a detour, but uh, it's never by accident. What seems to be like a detour from a from the perspective of a longer time frame, it may, as much as uh, I don't have a fondness uh, for the imposter in the White House, <laughs> but uh, from a longer perspective, I can see that uh, that uh, was possibly the best thing that could have happened because it uh, evoked uh, new responses to mm. the neoliberal uh, nightmare. A shock to the system, if you yeah. will. Yeah. And so we've been talking about the importance of um, societal uh intelligence and kind of the evolution of of, of that um, what how important are the commons and and maybe what what are the commons mm, mm. well commons uh, is a term that used in variety of uh, meaning the first meaning so when you say commons people first they would think about the forest, the air, the mm. water, the natural commons mm -hmm. that uh, doesn't belong to an owner, but the air belongs to ev everyone, the oceans belongs to everyone. So these are the natural commons, but uh, commons as a socio-economic entity also means uh, groups of people, communities, groups of people who come together to collectively develop, create and govern the resources essential to their well-being. Mm -hmm. So you can think of uh, cooperatives as kind of commons or comes closer to what we right. mean by commons. But commons is not focused on ownership. It's focused on stewardship. Mm. So it's recognizing that what is important is not that we own the land, but uh, we take care of the land, mm. uh, that we are stewarding creating uh, the best enabling conditions for the common good. Um, so in terms of uh, organizational development, commons can also be a form of organization design that is beyond what uh, Lalu is talking in terms of self-management. Uh, because uh, self-management is not necessarily questioning uh, the dominant mode of uh, production where the 
producers don't uh, define the finality of the production. Mm -hmm. What we are producing, why we are producing it, how are we going to allocate the surplus, the benefits of the production. All that is becoming uh, the subject with the commons. Mm -hmm. So the commons is a more evolved uh, version of organizational design than self-management. Right, and it seems like that's an upgrade, or it seems like it's taking in more of what actually is out there. It's not just worrying about here and maybe just here, but actually, the, like you said, how, why, it's, it's deeper questions. Yes, that's true. Um, so one of the things that you, we, we've kind of glossed or talked about, evolutionary mentoring, um, commons, etc., is you know, you've had a, a, a rich history of mentorship, advising, and teaching. Um, how has that changed you personally um, through that? Because, I mean, one of the things that I've kind of learned in life is to learn something, the, or, the, or the best way to learn something in depth is to teach it. So mm -hmm. I, it seems that, you know, your own person personality of, of knowing things has probably garnered a lot more um, gravitas, et cetera, by teaching, and then you know it through and through. So how has that changed you personally over the years? Well, I started... Uh mentoring uh, organizational leaders uh, back in the 80s. Mm -hmm. I was a different uh, person and uh, what I supported them is to become more effective in what they are doing. Mm -hmm. uh, Ineffective by what definition exactly? Or, I mean, obviously, each individual person, that would be different. But yeah, but effective uh, is the key word. Exactly. To, yeah. to do better what they are doing uh, without uh, questioning of uh, their personal development and uh, what does, and their uh, worldviews, their, uh, the finality of the produ production of... Mm -hmm. uh, so then uh, many of them got into midlife crisis, very successful executives, and then they start uh, wondering about the meaning of why. Sure. What is, uh, there is, is there not something more to life mm -hmm. than having uh, an executive mansion and a great car and a good salary? So uh, as I evolved, uh, I also shifted my uh, focus in my mentoring work towards people who are uh, committed to personal evolution mm. and committed to uh, evolving their organizations. Uh, so that uh, became more central to my work. Uh, over, over the years, and and also you ask me how uh, this work affected me. Well, there is no good mentoring, but cross mentoring. Cross mentoring means that uh, in every mentoring relationship, 
I am learning as much as the my mentoring client. Mm. What we are learning is is different. Uh, she is learning what she needs to become, and I am learning how I can become a better Sherpa mm-hmm. for her or for him. And I'm learning that from the explicit and implicit feedback that I am receiving. Implicit feedback also seeing uh, the person's journey, how she is doing uh, her work, her relationship, how much or how little the work that she's doing with me contributing to it, that gives me feedback mm-hmm. to uh, how can I become a better mentor. And that's not a one-way street. It's, it is a two-way. Exactly. It, that's it, what I'm saying. Yeah. 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 Okay. Um, so those are, those are great, great things. So when we come back uh, from a short break, we're going to talk about Campus Co-Evolve. Stay with us. Welcome back to Eclectic Spacewalk Conversations. I'm still joined by George Poor, founder and academic dean of Campus Coevolve, whose purpose is to, quote, to trigger viral waves of new capabilities for facilitating profound transformation on three scales, personal, organizational, and societal. So why did you start Campus Coevolve, George? Well, because uh, I'm mentioned earlier that everything is uh, moving towards collapse according to some people other are uh, betting on uh, not a breakdown but breakthrough and uh, many of my friends uh, perceive the world including me that everything is going worse and worse and better and better and faster and faster <laughs> at the same time. Right. And that is a sure recipe for chaos. Sure. And chaos is not necessarily good or bad. Uh, it is just uh, chaos. <laughs> chaos. And what it is, what it will become is up to us. Mm, very good and uh, whether the outcome is uh, the collapse of the civilization as we knew it, uh, infrastructures, all that, that uh, will bring uh, unimaginable suffering to massive scale, Mm -hmm. or uh, whether it will open a new chapter of human history with the brightest possibility for prosperity and global well-being for all so it's really up to us but it's not up to us what I mean is uh, you know people who may listen to this podcast uh, may think what do you mean up to us I can't do anything uh, mm. about that and um, if they say that uh, they are right Right, they make their own. Right. Uh, but if they say that, uh, yes, I want to do something and I will make a difference, then again, they are right mm. also. Mm. 
but uh, just how that difference for a positive future can be made, it's clearly no uh, single individual can cause a lasting positive uh, impact, a difference that makes a difference. Uh, for that, uh, we need um, deep change, transformation, evolutionary transformation at the scale of our individual psyche, individual choices, as well as uh, our organization structures and processes and uh, the large uh, social systems like education and uh, healthcare and uh, governance and military, all those systems uh, need to go through deep transformation to meet the, the new challenges. So that's why I'm saying that uh, we are not in a era of changes, but more like a, a change of eras. Mm. And uh, how we are going to get out on the other end of the chaos will depend largely on how many well-trained uh, facilitators of this deep transformation exist in the world. And uh, so I want to contribute to the development of the capabilities of evolutionary leadership that is needed at this time. And I learned, uh, so I'm walking my talk. I know that I cannot make that difference, but if we get together with colleagues and created, that's why we created Campus Coevo. I couldn't have created by myself. Uh, it was my brainchild, but it took uh, a little village coming together to raise that uh, brainchild. And we are still at the very beginning, very early stage in the process. Uh, yeah, this is only this year, right? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's only seven month old baby. <laughs> so it's not uh, walking yet, yeah. not talking yet. Right. Uh, Still learning the world. Yeah. Um, so, but in all that, which you just kind of glossed or kind of painted a broad brushstroke of is the um, the first pillar of the five pillars of Campus Co-Evolve is holistic. Um, you know, you really want to take a holistic approach to things. And so the other five, uh, the other four pillars, excuse me, is transformative, praxis-driven, experiential, and community-focused. How are those five pillars different in, in that, you know, in that, uh, I guess you could say, developing the brainchild as it gets older? Yeah, well, uh, how it is different uh, from uh, traditional institutions of higher education, that's where I would start, because uh, people go to... Uh, a university and they get a uh, degree, they consume knowledge, but they don't necessarily uh, get support to their development as a human being. Mm. So the holistic dimension of our education credo refers to that 
we care for the whole person. Mm. So, for example, one of our courses, the Four Rivers, yep. is uh, our signature course because it is expressing uh, the integral holistic framework uh, or full spectrum education that starts with awareness. The four rivers are the rivers of awareness, behavior, community building, and designing with complexity, the right. A, B, C, D rivers. Uh, and uh, that's, no, that's not all what uh, it is to holistic education, but that's my current uh, framing. Mm -hmm. uh, and we are at the second cohort uh, that just started uh, just uh, now in um, a week ago. Right. And uh, so the other qualities of our education expressed in our uh, educational credo, they also make uh, Campus Quo World a kind quite uh, distinctive uh, new form of uh, higher uh, education for change makers, for example. If you think of um, praxis driven, that implies that uh, each uh, participant in our courses comes with a real world project mm. to which uh, he or she uh, needs to apply the learning from our courses and uh, it's also linked with the community focus which means that it's uh, there's a strong emphasis on peer-to-peer -peer learning mm -hmm. uh, so uh, we have the reverse classroom where uh, the participants present their uh, discoveries that uh, they made by working with the assignments from from the course. Uh, so we, we developed a quite uh, distinctive uh, andragogy, adult education methodology that our uh, educational credo encapsulates. Mm -hmm. And then, as you mentioned, this is the second iteration or the second cohort that's gone through Four Rivers. But then also, um, the next class that is coming up in the next couple of weeks is a transformative media creation and reception course. And that's for people who want to learn how to use media for supporting transformation in self, others, and the world. It will illuminate the comprehensive toolkit for designing media to catalyze healing, personal growth, and the evolution of consciousness on the individual and collective level. And that's, you know, uh, how we even met. We met on Twitter. You know, yes. we had our, you know, discourse on that first. And so, you know, using different means of, of media is becoming even more important in today's thing. I know we talked about Gandhi, about he, if today he would maybe not make a newspaper, but a media company. Um, social media, but not, but media in general is a powerful, powerful tool. Um, so I guess talk about the other course a little bit uh, about what that's going to, and, and I even, um, you know, which I'll be taking part in, you know, so talk, talk about that. Yeah. So, um, 
I envision that we will have uh, two types of courses over time. The signature or foundational courses. Uh, mm -hmm. If we were a traditional university, I would call that uh, the undergraduate or mm. entry level that uh, all the learners gen eds gen educa general education yes 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 yes, yes. <laughs> and then there is the specialization yes uh, and uh, so the transformative media is the first example of a specialization course where we bring to change makers very specific domains of capabilities that we think as pivotal mm -hmm. for uh, change facilitators. And clearly, the creation of transformative media experiences uh, is it's like um, having uh, literacy. Mm. The literacy of reading and writing was essential in the 19th and 20th century mm -hmm. for uh, the people who were working for a better world. Uh, today, uh, using media is just as important as reading and writing was before. And so much more that we were even talking that, you know, Generation Z or all of these other, you know, kids that are coming up, I mean, I, w I would consider myself one of the last generations to have um, before the internet. You know, mm -hmm. I grew up and I remember getting a DSL modem. I remember, uh -huh. you know, the, the, the cable modem and stuff. And, but then, and there was a specific change. I remember that. But then now the people that are, the kids that are born today, I mean, they have a phone right here for their entire lives. They're jacked in to the internet with Snapchat and TikTok and stuff. So, you know, it's only going to be coming more so yeah. than media literacy, as you Absolutely. say. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so what, what, one of the things that makes Campus Co-Evolve really uh, interesting and, and different is uh, that not just we live in this media kind of literacy economy, but we also live in a gift economy. Um, and Campus Co-Evolve is, is donation-based instead of set tuition fees. So can you talk about, you know, that, that because that, that really is a different and transformative um, pillar, as you will, of uh, difference between you, yourself, and um, maybe traditional higher education institutions. Yeah, yeah, that uh, it's both uh, economic model and it's also uh, or philosophy in action. Mm -hmm. What I mean by the later that we want to make our transformative education available to all who can benefit from it. Uh, and um, so that's why we didn't uh, set a tuition fee to make sure that uh, people with uh, lower income, particularly people from uh, the global south. Especially, yeah can also uh, join our, our courses. Uh, so we also need to uh, think of the financial viability of the campus. Of because 
it takes a lot of resources to generate uh, the the courses, the maintain and improve the the platform. Uh, so we do have a level of recommended uh, donation, and uh, we do accept people who cannot. Uh, pay the recommended level and uh, we also say that uh, pay what you can and a little bit more because <laughs> <laughs> uh, it is an investment in themselves as well yes yes and uh, we don't accept uh, people who say that uh, they can't pay anything mm. because um, that's very close to be a free rider because even if you are a, a unemployed person, you still uh, go to a movie or have a coffee somewhere. So even a symbolic payment is expressing the respect for the work that going into the the education. But uh, we don't have really. There are many problems with with that. People are giving, and they tend to give generously. Like uh, in the first cohort, uh, a couple of people gave uh, much more than mm. what we ask for, because the gift economy includes also that you can uh, pay less or more. It's both sides of that. Yes. yes. But at the same time, you also are kind of setting a marker or a benchmark. Of, yes. Yeah. Yes, just to give a sense of what it takes to produce. <laughs> yeah. Of course. And th that that's a, a great philosophy and, and actually in practice. So, I, you know, I applaud you for that. And so what... Um, well, this will be kind of the last question we talk about Campus Core, but what what has the reception been? What is the, you know, you've had one cohort, you know, finished and done from people all over the world, uh, China, Switzerland, I think. Um, so what has the reception been from the first cohort and then now, you know, you're in your second cohort and then now uh, even possibly doing, you know, your first specialization course in media? Well, we got uh, raving testimonials from the graduates of the of the first cohort. Uh, you can look it up on the website, but people are saying that that was um, a life-changing experience for them, and uh, they came to take the course thinking that uh, it will be a normal thing where they can consume knowledge, and then they discover uh, themselves as co-producers mm. of, of knowledge. So we are very happy with the feedback that we are receiving. And I, well, one of that kind of comes back to the, the first five pillars, the holistic, is that you guys are focused on maybe not the educational aspect of someone's being, but their actual holistic human being, is that it's, it's not just about the education, it's really making them feel uh, they have meaning in their lives, they can change. Yeah. Yeah, because um, the part of a big part of that is that uh, when they come to Campus Coeval, what uh, they receive is um, not only education but uh, becoming part of a community, mm. becoming so uh, um, a community, uh, mutually supportive relationships mm -hmm. that. Uh, many of that still exist after the course is, is over. 
So it's the quality of relationships that uh, people have a chance to develop during the course, which goes beyond what is a holistic education. Beautiful, beautiful. Okay, so um, last question, and this mm -hmm. is what I ask um, all my guests because mm -hmm. um, the overview effect is a you know cornerstone philosophy of eclectic spacewalk. Um, if you were at the International Space Station or say the Moon um, with the whole world looking up at you, what what would you say? Oh, what a what a wonderful question. Well, you know what I would say is, uh, don't look up. Mm. Look around. Mm. Look around and find your fellow human beings. Find your tribe. Find your friends, family, people whom you truly care for. And show that you care because it is the mutually caring relationships that is the foundation from which we can build the new world. That's what I would say. Don't mm. look up, look around. Yeah, don't look at me, look at everyone else. Yeah. <laughs> okay, that's beautiful. So um, in closing, we're going to end with a quote uh, from 19th century journalist and poet uh, Guillaume Apollon, uh, Apollonaire, sorry, excuse me, um, that's on your website as well. So come to the edge, they said, I can't, I'm scared. Come to the edge, they said, I can't, I'm scared. Come to the edge, they said. I came, they heartened me, we flew. So I hope we can fly together moving forward, George. <laughs> thank you. So thank you for coming on Conversations, George. And until next time, Ad Astra. Eclectic Spacewalk presents Conversations, a podcast about the uniqueness of the human condition and how, through conversation, we can continue to upgrade humanity's value systems.